1: You know, guys, we're back in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in and out of Luke for the last few years. And we're in that last section now. We're calling it Earth Walk, because we're looking at the Earth Walk of Jesus Christ. But we're looking specifically at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what was taking place from chapter 19 all the way to the end, where Jesus Christ goes to the cross for you and I, for our sins, And dies, but is raised again on the third day. And so we're going to learn what we can from this gospel. Today, we're going to be looking specifically, we've looked at and saw that he is entering into Jerusalem. The Pharisees have told him to tell the disciples to be quiet. Jesus says, you know, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. But then Luke is the only one who records what happens next. He records Jesus' reaction as he's riding into Jerusalem and he sees the city. We're going to see that Jesus reacts. Luke is the only gospel to record it. Now, Luke does record the cleansing of the temple, but the reaction as he goes into the city and why he reacts, Luke is the only one to do that. What we're going to see is is that Jesus is emotional. Because we're going to see two emotions expressed today. Because here's the thing: we saw last week that Jesus is orchestrating; he is he is directing the events that will lead to the cross. We saw that as in the triumphant entry, and it's really easy for us to kind of think of Jesus as a an emotionless robot, like a Spock type figure, if you're in Star Trek or something, like he's like part Vulcan or whatever. Live long and prosper, all right? But he's not like that. Jesus is emotional. And he's going to be experiencing a wide range of emotions as he goes to the cross for you and I. And so we're going to see that today. In fact, let's look together. We're looking at verse 41 through 48. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. And saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. and They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, and saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, but were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Folks, we can take these few verses and we can basically divide them into two emotional sections. We're going to see, first of all, the grief of Jesus. Why is he grieving? In fact, I want you to understand, when it says that he wept over the city, I'm not talking about that he shed a few tears. You know what I'm talking about? Ever been to a movie and it's one of those moving scenes in a movie and you kind of shed a tear? You know what I'm talking about, guys? Especially, you don't want somebody with you seeing that you're shedding a tear, so you're kind of like, you know, you're like kind of motioning away, trying to do whatever to get rid of that, or let it just run down your face and hope the air conditioning system dries it out before your honey sees it. And we're not talking about that kind of weeping, okay? What we're talking about is a bitter cry from his heart, an anguish of his heart. We're talking about grief here. So that's the first emotion we're going to see. The second part we're going to see is in the temple, that's anger. Jesus gets angry. Can Jesus get angry? Yes, he gets angry. We're going to see why he's grieving, and we're going to see why he's angry. And we're going to ask ourselves some questions as to how that relates to our lives. So let's talk about grief first of all. Look with me, verse 41 and 42. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you hadn't known, even you, especially this your day, these things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus is grieved by unbelief. Jesus is grieved by unbelief. But see, they didn't get it. They didn't believe. And look at what he says there. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And folks, they're still hidden from their eyes to this day. The Jewish people as a whole cannot comprehend it, see it. In fact, what? Paul says later that what? That the cross of Christ is what? A stumbling block to the Jew. They can't comprehend it. They're Messiah being put on a cross. They can't see it. And here's what it's saying. Jesus is saying, here's the point I want you to see. It results in a hardness and a blindness to the truth. He's weeping for them. Why? Because their sin of unbelief, their unbelief is resulting in a hardness and a blindness to the truth that's going on. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was Messiah. So therefore, they didn't see what was happening. They didn't understand. They didn't comprehend. When you decide you don't want to believe, folks, it ultimately results in the hardness of your heart towards truth and a blindness towards it. You know what I mean? You, you, it doesn't matter. Have you ever talked to somebody who who believes that America never went to the moon? You ever talked to somebody like that? There are people like that. Do you know that? I mean, there are people who believe those kind of things. The, The reality is, is you can sit there and try to show them fact upon fact upon fact, and it's like, excuse me, don't bother me with the truth. I don't want to know. Because I've already what? Made up my mind. And unbelief, that's what happens. If you don't want to believe, if you don't want to see it, it's going to ultimately result in hardness and blindness. And guess what, folks? That grieves God's heart. It grieves their heart that they cannot see it. They cannot see it. Here's the other thing I want you to see about their, about the whole issue of their grief. It ultimately leads to destruction. Jesus goes on there, verse 43, and says, It is hidden from you. And this is what's going to happen. He tells Jerusalem, He said, they're going to come and they're going to build embankments against you. They're going to destroy your city and everyone inside, including the children. And they're not going to leave one stone upon another. That was pretty prophetic of him. We believe that Jesus died somewhere around eighty, thirty, forty 30. Forty years later, the Romans would come. Because of the Jewish rebellion against them, they would encircle the city, they would lay siege to the city, they would starve the city out, and then they would take the city. They would kill everyone inside women, children, and men, old people, young people, didn't matter to them. They would kill everyone. And they would tear down the city, literally tear down the city. This is what the Roman history records that they tore down the city. One stone from another was not left on top of it. They tore the Tore the whole place down. And just to make sure, because they were not... The Romans were pretty... If you, were, if you picked a fight with them, you either won or you got destroyed. And when they destroyed you, they destroyed you. In fact, here's what they did. With your fields, they sowed salt in your fields so that you could not grow anything there anymore. They made the place desolate. Why? Ultimately, Jesus said, because of their what? Unbelief. Because when he rode into the city... They didn't believe. Nothing's changed. To this day, unbelief still results in destruction. What do you mean by that, George? Well, it may not result in the Romans coming and campusing and tearing down your house, board by board, brick by brick, or stone by stone, whatever it is, siding by siding. But what happens ultimately is a spiritual destruction. Because ultimately, unbelief results in what? Death. Spiritual death. Hell. You say, George, are you sure that Jesus is grieved by that? Why did he create it? He created hell. Remember now, Jesus said, not for humanity, but for who? The de- Satan and his angels. But because of our rebellion, we were sentenced there. But the Old Testament makes it very clear here that God does not delight in what? The destruction of the wicked. You want to know the heart of God? The heart of God is is that he does not take delight in the destruction of the wicked. So he's grieved by their unbelief. That's pretty hard for us because we want to get angry, right? We look at the world around us. We look at the unbelief that's there. We look at the actions of unbelievers. And we want to get angry about it. That's not really what Jesus is showing us here, is he? What really needs to happen is grief. And I'll be honest with you, that's not what we're known for, is it? But Jesus does show anger. But who does he show anger to? Well, look, that's where we're going to go next. Let's look at the issue of anger. Look with me. It says that when he entered into the city, verse 45, he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves. Here's what I want you to notice. Jesus is angered by hypocrisy. He's grieved by unbelief. His heart aches for the one who cannot believe or does not believe. But what he is angered by, and, and let me be honest with you, the other Gospels bring it out even more expressly than Luke does. The other Gospels bring out the point that he is filled with a righteous type indignation. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever had something... Gone wrong somebody 's done you wrong, and you were just fired up mad about it. be honest, how many oh a few honest people the rest of you are i don 't know we'll have to talk to you because you 've got to get fired up once in a while if something 's going wrong. Do you understand what anger is Anger's not wrong. I have a friend who 's written a book a couple books on anger, Christian books on anger, and he says that anger is when your value system is reproached when your value system, when something that you hold to, is reproached, and you get angry. Now, it's what you do with anger that can become sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's what you do with it. It's not being angry. Because somebody said, "We well, Christians are not supposed to be angry." No, you be angry. You can be angry. It's what you do with it. But what I want you to see is Jesus is angry because something that He holds to dearly is not being followed, it's being transgressed against, and so he's angry. But here's what he's angry at. He's angry at the hypocrisy of self-righteous religious people. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's angered at the hypocrisy of self-righteous religious people. He's not angry at unbelievers. He's grieved by them. What do you mean by that, George? Well, can I be honest with you? What do you expect from an unbeliever, from an unsafe person? They're going to act like what? An unsafe person. But when you got somebody who professes faith, he's angered by their hypocrisy. Wow. Boy, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And here's what's going on. So notice something. Here's what's happening. He's angered by their hypocrisy. Why? What's going on here? They were engaged in empty religious practices. They were engaged in empty religious practices. What are you talking about, George? Well, here, let me explain something to you. Where they were setting up, here's what happened. You had the temple. And the temple was kind of the focal point. If you were Jewish, you made a pilgrimage to the temple several times a year. Not just one time in a lifetime like the Muslims do to Mecca. But the Jews would come continually there for the festivals, for the feasts. And, and you know, they're spread out all over the Roman Empire and beyond. And so they would come back. But let's say you're coming from Rome and you come into Jerusalem and you're, you're, you're a Jew who lives in Rome. What kind of money are you carrying? Roman money. Let's say you're coming from Egypt and you're coming into the temple. What kind of money are you carrying? Egyptian. You're from Persia. What kind of money are you carrying? Persian. And so you come in there. And, and they were to pay a temple tax. They were to pay for sacrifices and so forth. But the, but the temple only takes temple money. They won't take your Roman money. They won't take your Persian money. They want to take sacred money, not the money that came from the Gentiles. So you had to get an exchange. So what they had there is they would have these money changers. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you fly out of out of the country? You're going to you're going to Mexico, or you're going to Aruba, you know, or somebody like that. Or even if you cross the border into Canada and you're going hunting or fishing, you'll notice a little booth there. It's usually got a bunch of red numbers with how much the currency is. It's currency exchange? That's what these guys were. They were money changers. So it became a big business. However, the temple guys, the priests, were connected to it. And so what you would do is, you would go and exchange your money for temple money. I'm sure the fees were pretty high. Here's the other thing, though. Because you're coming there, you've got to make sacrifice. And, and even if you came from, like, Galilee or somewhere, and you brought your sheep with you, your sheep had to be inspected to make sure that it was perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, in which the reports are that they never found it to be perfect, you would sell your animal for a low price, and then you would buy an approved animal at a higher price. And so they were making a big profit there. And so they were using all of their religious exercise and so forth to make profit from it. And so they were engaged in empty religious practices. Now here's what Jesus was getting upset about. They chose one part of the temple, which was the court of the Gentiles which was where you and I, who are Gentiles, could go. It's the farthest place we could go into the temple to worship Yahweh, to worship God. It was supposed to be a place of worship, but it actually became what? A marketplace where you could go and exchange your money, go and buy your sacrifices, and people were making big profits. See, he was angered by that. You know, the same thing's happening today, isn't it? Christianity, let's be honest, is just a big business. It's becoming that. I'm serious. Do you know what I mean? I mean, have you ever tried to buy a Bible study lately? They don't give them away free. You know, they're like ten bucks or more. You know, have you been to a Christian concert lately? And I'm not talking Winter Jam where you pay 10, ten bucks and you get in to see ten bands. Have you gone to see one band lately? It's like going to see Madonna. Do you know what I mean? Not that you should go see Madonna, okay? But, I mean, that's the ticket price. Do you know what I I mean? He's angered by that. We think he should be angered by the sin in the world of the unbelievers. No, he's grieved by that. But he's angered by our hypocrisy and our empty, what? Religious practices. Not only that, look, let's go on here a little bit forward. Here's what I'm saying. Their religion had become self-serving. That's the whole scheme there. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know why they're so angry at Jesus? They're not just angry at Jesus because the people are following him. The chief priests and the rulers were angry at Jesus because he did disrupt the temple practice of the money changers and stuff. Why? Because, I mean, hey, if you're a business owner and some dude comes and wipes out your shop, aren't you going to be mad because you're not making money that day? See, they weren't in it for the religious spirituality of the people. They were in it for what? Their own wallets. Do you understand what I'm saying? So their religion had become self-serving. It was all about them. It wasn't about God anymore. It was all about them. In fact, here, look with me. Verse 47 or 48. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and scribes and leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And we're unable to do anything for all the people who are very attentive to hear him. Here's what I want you to see. True spirituality is threatening. Have you noticed that? True spirituality is very threatening to people. Especially religious people. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, It's especially threatening to religious people. Because religious people, they think they have their act together because of what they're doing. Because they go to church. They tithe. Or give money. They volunteer. They dress the right way. They don't go to certain movies. They don't, they don't go to certain restaurants or do certain things. And so they think they're okay. But then you come along and you have somebody who has true spirituality, which, which is, can I be honest with you, with the other thing, it's all about the outside and how you appear but never change the heart. But then you have somebody who has true spirituality where their heart is changing. And you get around a type of person like that, and that becomes convicting to the one who's just got religion. And that's very threatening. Because here comes Jesus in all of his perfectness, and all of his love, and he's threatening the very core of who they are. Because he's revealing that their practices are empty. He's revealing that they're just self-serving in what they're doing. True spirituality is threatening. And here's the final point I want you to see here in this section on anger. Hypocrisy seeks to destroy true faith. Hypocrisy seeks to destroy true faith. You know, I was telling, talking this morning at Sunday school, I've been, I've been a Christian now 27 years. This is April. 27 years ago this month, I was a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina. And I got invited to a Bible study. And I went to this Bible study on the campus of the University of South Carolina. I heard the testimonies of these young students about their love for Jesus Christ. I heard a, I heard a guy get up and give a message about what it was to live the Christian life. And, and, that, and they, they told me to go home that evening, because I had questions, and read the Gospel of John. That evening, I read the entire Gospel that evening. Now, you got to understand, I got home probably about 9 o'clock, went to my room, said goodnight to my parents, And I stayed up all night until I finished that gospel. And then I found myself on my knees by my bed that night giving my life to Jesus Christ. My life has never been the same ever since. Now, in that 27 years since then, I have been in either extreme of Christianity. I have been in the extreme of extreme legalism and and, and of hypocrisy, of, of doing the right things but not changing the heart. I've been to the other extreme where everything's okay. And here's where I'm at now. Because I'm 47 years old now. Here's where I'm at. I have, I, I, And it's a balance. Because you can swing to one end or the other real quick. License or, or law. License or law. But where I've come is, is I've got to go to where it's better to err on the side of license. Rather than go to the side of law. Because when you go over to the side of law, you always drift off into hypocrisy. I'm just going to be honest with you. To self-righteous hypocrisy. That's where I'm at. If you don't like that, you can beat me up later. But I'm going to tell you something. If I drift over here into law and hypocrisy, that's what angers Jesus. Because my faith and my walk become meaningless. Self-serving. But if I'm over here and I err on the side of grace, I'm erring on the side of His grace for me that I can't do anything for. That's where we need to be. Because hypocrisy is always going to seek to destroy your faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you say, oh, you mean I can just do anything? No, there's things that Jesus said you don't do. I mean, He's very clear, don't do certain things. The Bible's very clear about that. But the issue is, don't be self-serving. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be self-righteous. You say, okay, George, how do we take this message here and we bring it down to where we're at? Well, let me ask you two questions and I'll give you an action point. Here's the first one. And, and I want you to rush in through your answers here. I want you to think about it. If you have a bulletin, take it home and, and, and look at it, pray about it, and rethink through these questions, okay? Here's the first one. How would you describe yourself? And I'm not talking about, well, I'm 6'2", I'm totally gray-headed, losing my hair, I'm overweight. I'm not talking about that type of description, okay? I'm talking about, how would you describe your spirituality? How would we describe the spiritual you? Is it unbelief? I mean, let's not deceive ourselves. Even with a group this size, there are people here, I don't care how often you've been coming here, you could be coming here, but your reasons for coming aren't right reasons, and it's, you're just simply wanting to make somebody happy, but you don't believe. Is it unbelief? Or maybe you're here, and you're on the other extreme, you're self-righteous. You think you've got your act together. I mean, you're like, you know, the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, you know, the tax collector stands away off and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. But the ta- the, you're like the guy who prayed first, who said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm perfect, and I'm not like this dude behind me. How would you describe yourself? I mean, it's very important because I want you to understand something. Jesus does have emotions. And we do draw a response from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if it's unbelief, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, He grieves for you. You know, the Scripture is very clear in Revelation that, that there will be a great white throne judgment and all of humanity will stand before Him and, and the books will be opened and, and, and people will be found except for their names be found in the book of life. And those who aren't, I can already guarantee you, Jesus isn't casting them into hell with a glee on His face. I can take it from the scripture that he's casting them into hell. But he's not doing it out of fun. He's doing it as he grieves for them. Because it was their choice. How would you describe yourself? Which brings up the next question. How would Jesus react to you? This is why I'm saying you need to go home and think on this one. Because so, so it's so easy in our Christian circles... Especially if we embrace the concept of eternal security, to to just think that it's okay. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm forgiven. Uh, you know what? I've been a dad long enough now to know that that's probably not the way God is with us. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. That there are sometimes your kids do things and it grieves your heart, right? There are sometimes your kids do things and you just get plain mad. That's how you handle it. I mean... Your parents would get mad. Oh yeah, parents get mad, right? Parents, we get mad. Okay. I think God's the same way, folks. We're seeing that here. So I want you to think for a moment when He looks at you, little old you, and the the, the reality of your spiritual life. What's the reaction towards you? Is it? Is He grieved? Or is he angry? Or is he okay? That's something to think about. If you haven't had that kind of mental exercise, I need, you need to, don't you? Do you know what I'm saying? That, that's actually a good mental exercise. So here's your action point this week. As you're contemplating these questions, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Spirit to guide you into true faith. Ask the Spirit to guide you into true faith. Because if you're here and, and you're in that unbelief, your eyes need to be open to the truth, to the salvation of Jesus Christ, to the acceptance That he has for you. The forgiveness. The sacrifice that he made to you. But you're only going to see it as the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. As he opens that up to you. You need to ask him, God, open my eyes so I can see it. But if you're here and you're at that other extreme and it's just pure empty religion to you. And and, and you're self-righteous in something. You need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the reality that you ain't doing too good. That you are in trouble. What do you mean, George? Well, I think it's interesting. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter seven would say something like this. He, he would say that there will be the, in that day many will appear before him, and they'll say, "Lord, Lord, did we not do these great things in your name?" And folks, this was the Sunday school crowd. You can tell from the from the passage that these were people who thought they knew him. And he says to them, "Depart from me, I never knew you." So here's the question. Are you going to ask Him to guide you into true faith, into a true relationship with Him? That's what you need to do.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street